What's the best advice someone has ever given you? You know, the sort of best life tip you've ever received. Look before you leap. That was one my fakes often used to say to me when I was growing up. Uh, Sorry? If in doubt, don't. Yes. Think before you speak. That was another one that my parents figured I needed to hear quite fairly often. I reckon one of the best parenting tips Sue and I ever received was to wipe up the wheat bix from the high chair before it dries. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, if you have young children or you're thinking about having them in the future, file that one away. It is gold. Because I don't know what they put in that stuff, but it sets like concrete. And yet despite uh, how useful all of those tips are, today's Bible passage has an even better one. Uh, Today's passage has some advice. It's not just for parents. This is advice for whatever age or life situation you're at. This is arguably the best advice you will ever get. It is return to God before it's too late. If you have not done it already, come back while you still can. Or to put it in the words of this morning's passage, verse 6, return to him uh, you you have so greatly revolted against, O O Israelites. Now that in a nutshell is what today's chapter is all about. It's about coming back to God. And even though at the end of that verse you can see it's particularly directed towards Israel in that chapter, return to him you have so greatly revolted against, O Israelites, despite this being originally directed to Israel, as we'll discover, uh, this is a word to all of us. But first things first, and uh, like any bit of the Bible, we really do need to firstly understand the passage in its original context. And so here in the context of Isaiah, why does Israel need to return to God? In what sense have they greatly revolted against him? Verse 1 explains it to us. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Background to this chapter is that Judah have gone down to Egypt for help. In other words, they formed a military alliance with Egypt and they have done that so as to try and protect themselves from the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was the big bad superpower of the day and at this time in their history, Assyria were making threatening noises towards Judah so Judah have run off to Egypt for help. Now, we actually thought about this last week, didn't we, in chapter 28 as well. Remember back then? Back there, God called this treaty with Egypt a covenant with death, and he reckoned it wasn't going to be worth the paper that was written on. In fact, for the truly observant among us, you might recall that last week, chapter 28, it also started with a word of woe. It started out last week, woe to that wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards. Remember that? This week, it's a similar sort of start, another woe. Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Now, all this similarity between chapter 28 last week, chapter 31 this week, it's because we are right in the middle of a big section of Isaiah, which is all about the foolishness of this treaty with Egypt. Uh, It runs all the way through from chapter 28 to chapter 35. There's a few ups and downs, but what holds all the chapters together is that there, and what makes this chapter a good representative chapter of the entire section, 
is that it's all focusing on this treaty that Judah have made with Egypt. Now, why so much attention be given to this treaty? It's because it, re- it reflects a terrible rejection of God. Because even before Israel set foot in the promised land, God had repeatedly told them not to make treaties with other countries. He was all the help they needed. Trust me, he kept saying. And yet when the going gets tough, they have turned around and now made a treaty with another nation and Egypt of all places. That's the very country that God had rescued them out of in the Exodus to get them into the promised land. It all adds up to a massive insult to God. In the words of verse 1, they have chosen to not look to the Holy One of Israel or to seek help from the Lord. And here in chapter 31, indeed, right through this whole section, because we're treating this chapter as a representative one of the whole section, Isaiah is urging Judah to wake up to themselves and come back to God. And he gives two reasons why they ought to do that. Two compelling reasons to come back to God while they still can. Reason number one, those who don't will perish. Verse two, yet he too is wise and can bring disaster. He does not take back his words. He will rise up against the house of the wicked, against those who help evildoers. Now, I reckon it sounds as if Isaiah is having a bit of a go here at the negotiators who have brokered this deal between Judah and Egypt. Maybe these negotiators, these diplomats, they were pretty chuffed about how clever they were to pull off this deal uh, with Egypt. Isaiah is saying there, well, he too is wise. In other words, God also knows what he's doing. You may have think you've do- dodged a disaster by this treaty, but God's still going to bring it. He will rise up against the wicked and nothing can stop him from doing that. Verse 3, the Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, he who helps will stumble, he who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. It's a pretty clear point. You don't go up against the God of all the universe and win. A moment's reflection tells you that. This is the God who just has to speak and entire galaxies appear. So Egypt, come on. No matter how many soldiers they got or how many horses they got, it, it's not going to be a contest. And so both he who helps, that is Egypt, and he who is helped, that is Judah, both are going to fall before the mighty God of all the universe. It, it will just not be a contest. So return to him. Especially so because not only those who don't return will perish, but the good news is the flip side is, and really the main emphasis of the chapter is, that those who do return, far from being punished, they will be miraculously saved. Verse 5, like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. Now, this is, it almost comes as an unexpected turn in the chapter because just when God's been talking about punishing the wicked earlier and then in verse 4 he describes himself as a lion coming to Mount Zion, you're sort of expecting that God's coming as a fierce lion, angry with Jerusalem, angry with Zion, but it's all turned on its head as suddenly here in verse 5 it's saying that God is coming to shield Jerusalem, deliver Jerusalem, rescue Jerusalem. In fact, that last phrase there, the one about he will pass over it and will rescue it, that phrase uh, uh, conjures up images of the Passover. 
Back at the time of Exodus, remember that? Back when all the plagues happened and God delivered Israel out of slavery, ironically from Egypt back then, in a massive display of, of power. Again, it's hinting at how stupid it is to prefer Egypt over God. I mean, God's already shown that he can, that he can beat up Egypt without even thinking about it. But by using that phrase, he will pass over it. Isaiah is also hinting that if Judah do return to God, if they do stop trusting in Egypt and start trusting in God again, God's just not going to save them in some low-key sort of way, some sort of understated sort of way. He's going to save them spectacularly. The extent to which uh, is emphasised in verse 7, where God says that they'll be saved so spectacularly that every other God will be seen to be useless, verse 7. For in that day, every one of you will reject the idols of silver and gold, your sinful hands have made. You know how sometimes you make a decision and then afterwards, uh, the way things turn out afterwards, it totally vindicates the decision that you've made. You know, you get, you get to look back and you think, boy, boy, I, I'm so glad I chose to do that. So glad I decided to keep supporting South Sydney now that they've come through and won the grand final. <laughs> a man can dream. But it's not going to be a dream for Judah. If they return to him, God will perform such a mighty act of salvation that every other false god will be seen for what they are, false. Because if they return to him, he's going to save them from Assyria in such a remarkable way that there will be no doubt that it is God who has done it. Verse 8. Assyria will fall by a sword that is not of man, a sword not of mortals will deliver them. Now that verse is now taking things to a whole new level for Judah. God is telling them that if they trust him to help them against Assyria rather than trusting in Egypt, if they return to him, he will save them so sensationally that they won't even have to go into battle. God will intervene so miraculously they won't need to do a thing. They will effectively be saved as a gift. Such is, the God, such is God's grace to those who return to him. And so, all the more reason, return to him who you have so greatly revolted against, O Israelites. If you don't, you will perish. If you do, you will be sensationally saved. It's a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? But I wonder what they will do. Uh, Judah don't really have a good track record at this time. Uh, So will they actually get to experience this sensational, miraculous salvation that God is offering them? Or are they going to dig their heels in and think that all this talk about a miraculous salvation, that's a bit far-fetched, far better to stay with Egypt, that's a bit more practical and sensible, down-to-earth thing to do? What are they going to do? Well, I won't spoil the drama of the book by telling you what happens. Uh, We'll get to see that in two weeks' time. Uh, Though if the tension's killing you, chapter 37 is the one you need to go home and read. But even before we get closure on knowing what Judah does, this chapter is a good word for us. Because you see, the centrepiece of all of this, this call to return to God while they still can, That's a word still relevant, even for us. 
Obviously not in the sense that, you know, we've made a treaty with Egypt so as to protect ourselves from Assyria. Those circumstances are peculiar to Judah in the 7th century BC. But you and I are nevertheless in need of returning to God. The Bible keeps telling us that we're all guilty of not trusting or obeying God enough. To use the phrase of verse 6 again, we are all guilty of greatly revolting against God. Now, at the time of Isaiah, Judah expressed that by relying on Egypt. We express it differently. Usually we express it by simply getting out of bed in the morning and doing what we, are, what we would like to do rather than what God wants us to do. And sure, some of us are polite about it and uh, some of us are, are nice about the way we go, but at the end of the day, we do what we want to do. And we're guilty of pushing God to the periphery of our lives and greatly revolting against him who has made us. But just like Judah in this chapter, God wants us to return to him. It's, it's actually what we thought about last week, remember? God doesn't enjoy having to punish people. He'd much, much rather bless. And so if you return to him, he'll save us. But if we don't, we too will perish. Because us being able to return to God now, that actually has a limited time offer. There will come a time when God will say enough is enough and he has promised that he will intervene and he will put an end to rebellion and an end to evil once and for all and he will wrap this entire creation up and then it will be too late to return to him. But if you're here this morning and you're still breathing, it's not too late. The window of opportunity is still open. We can return to him who we have so greatly revolted against. And if we do, just like Judah in this chapter, God will save us in a most spectacular, sensational way. For us, our salvation was won at the cross. When Jesus willingly took the place of his people and received the punishment that they should have received so that they could be forgiven from everything they've ever done wrong, or will do wrong. In fact, more than that, not only just forgiving his, uh, forgiving his people, as we heard about in Ephesians 1 just before Easter, God, Jesus showers his people with every spiritual blessing, the gift of the Holy Spirit, adoption into God's family, eternal life in a new creation after this one is wrapped up, lavished with all wisdom and understanding, the privilege of knowing what life is all about and where, where this life is heading. Friends, let me tell you, Despite how spectacular the salvation turned out to be that God gave Judah over the Assyrians, and I may have just spoiled the ending for you, but despite how astonishing that salvation turned out to be, it actually turns out to be a mere appetizer compared to the salvation won by Jesus Christ for his people. And so in a chapter like this, I need to ask you, Are you one of Jesus Christ's people? Have you done what Isaiah is calling on Judah to do here? Have you personally returned to God? Not do you come to church. Not have you got friends who are Christians. Not do you sponsor a compassion child. Have you returned to God? 
Because if you haven't, do it today while you can. This morning may be the morning that God is calling you into his people. So thank God for his patience. Thank God for the opportunity to be able to return. Thank God that Jesus came and died in our place so as to win us this wonderful salvation of having our sins wiped away. Tell God you're returning to him and ask him to help you to start living it out. Friends, if you've not done it before, do it while you can. Do it before it's too late. But I'd be thinking that for many of us here, we, we, we have done it. You're here and you know what it's like to have received that sensational, miraculous salvation through Jesus. You're here and you know what it's like to be remade as one of his children. Well, if that's the case, perhaps the lesson we need to rehear this morning is that all this stuff about returning to God, it's too important to keep to ourselves something like this. I mean, did you hear Lillian's story earlier in that compassion movie? She went through so much in her life that she hated God. And yet, by the grace of God, through the ministry of compassion, she returned to him whom she had so greatly revolted against. Friends, that's what this age is all about. We are living in a time of opportunity. We are living in a time of being able to come back to God and to help others do the same. But it's not going to last forever. Last month, Sydney had its first ever library amnesty. Uh, during April, people could visit any of Sydney's libraries and if they returned their overdue books, they could have their fines erased, no matter how large. Huge success. People loved the chance to do this. Almost 4,000 people took advantage of it. Over $100,000 worth of fines were wiped clean. Friends, we are in an amnesty period far more important than being able to return library books. You can come back to God and every sin you have ever done will be wiped clean. No matter what they are, no matter how many times you've done them. And it's spinning out. It is spinning out of exactly what we discovered about God last week. He doesn't enjoy having to punish people. Judgment is an alien task for him to have to do. He would much rather forgive. And so he is currently holding off Jesus' return. He is currently holding off wrapping up this creation because he is patient and not wanting anyone to perish. But he won't hold it off forever. And so we need to have conversations and we need to use our resources and we need to spend our money and we need to sponsor children and we need to dedicate our time and we need to make our decisions so that we return to God and so that other people as well as us might come back to God while they still can. What's the best advice someone's ever given you? The best life tip. This morning's chapter holds the best advice you'll ever get. Return to God before it's too late.
Mind you, it's a bit naughty of me to call it advice, isn't it? The God of all the universe doesn't actually give advice. He doesn't make suggestions. He issues commandments. He gives orders. And when God says, return to me, it's not a request. So you'd be crazy not to do it. And you certainly wouldn't be a friend to keep it to yourself. I'll pray. Father, thank you for your patience. Thank you that you are currently holding off the return of your son and the ushering in of a new creation precisely because you are not wanting anyone to perish. Father, thank you for your grace and your patience towards us. Please, Father, help us make the most of this opportunity so that we might return to you, so that we might help others as well. Amen.